Good morning, friends. Let me pray for us real quick, and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, just for the privilege of uh, being together. And Lord, we pray that our time is fruitful and beneficial and that it pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, we're going to begin a new series called Money Matters. Everybody say, Money Matters. Matters. And some of you are like, and I wish I had more of it, right? Uh, Money Matters. Uh, We're going to dive into this series. And um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to two places. We're going to primarily be there, and then we're going to do some bouncing around. But if you can mark these two places, it'll be beneficial to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And then you're going to mark Matthew chapter 25. So Ephesians 4, 28, and then Matthew chapter 25. And Matthew chapter 25, we're going to begin in verse 14, uh, but we'll get there in a a few bits. want to welcome those that are joining us on our Edgewood campus. Can we all give them a shout out? Woo! It's always good to have them uh, lie with us, and even better when nothing breaks down in between here and there. And so uh, it's good to be hanging out with them, and want to welcome those that are joining us online as well. Uh, the question I have for you this morning is, hey, what would you do for 10000 bucks? Some of you are like, anything, like, I sell my soul, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, that would do crazy things. In 1980, there was a, uh, sh- a Chicago radio station that posed that question to its audience. There were 6,000 people that replied uh, for a chance to win this. And the, the, they basically had to come up with the crazy idea. The craziest idea would have an opportunity to win 10,000 bucks. Well, there's a guy uh, who was a, a, a sophomore in college at Indiana State University. His name was Jay Gwaltney. And Jay Gwaltney in college decided it would be a crazy idea if I could eat an 11-foot birch tree. Like, what? And he, and he, he attempted it. And so uh, as a sophomore in college, he put on a tuxedo, and he sat down to dine on an 11-foot birch tree sapling. And if he could eat every ounce of that tree, he was going to win 10,000 bucks. And so he sat down and he began eating. He started at the very top, worked on the leaves and the limbs, all the way to the trunk, all the way down to the roots. And he was successful in eating an 11-foot birch tree in 1980 to win $10,000. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't need $10,000 that bad. And apparently, he did all of that with a little bit of French mustard. So as long as you have French mustard, you can eat a birch tree. Um, It's crazy to think about what Americans will do for money. And what's crazy about that, too, is not only will we do crazy things for money, but we'll do things for money that we can't even manage. Americans struggle to manage money wisely. All of those stats that you just saw are actual stats that are happening right now. 61% of Americans are having a difficult time living. They're, they're month to month, always anxious about whether or not they can pay their rent or their mortgage. Right now, a, m- a good majority of Americans have nothing in savings. That means that if there was an emergency, they would have nothing to do other than put it on a visa or a credit card to pay next month. And maybe you're here and you go, man, that, that's me. Well, today we're going to begin this series called Money Matters. And here's what I want you to hear, though. Money does matter, but it's not the heart of the matter. 
And today we're going to start at the heart of the matter. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And as he's writing to the church of Ephesus, he's talking about what it looks like to have a new life in Christ. And as he has a new life in Christ, there's a multitude of things that change within a person from the inside to the outside. You begin to see this radical transformation. He lists all these things, but kind of nestled in to the middle of these things is what he says in verse 28. And he says this, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands that he may have, what's it say? Something to share with anyone in need. Paul commends the church in Ephesus to be hard at work. He goes, listen, the key is, is that you would no longer steal, no longer go about doing things that are foolish. It's an easy means to gain wealth or money. Don't, don't do things that way, but yet let him work with his hands in an honest work, but he says also with labor. Now that word labor is the word kapiaho. Everybody say that, kapiaho. Here's what that means. It means labor. And when it means labor, it literally means in the Greek to labor to the point of exhaustion. It means to work yourself so difficultly that you have a difficult time standing up. It's to work laboriously. Um, it's a work that most of us would prefer not to do. Matter of fact, as Americans, the way we see work is we start there with hard labor and we work ourselves out of that place. Y'all agree with that? Like the goal is, is to start there and to work yourself up to where you manage those who do hard labor. What Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus is that, hey, let the thief no longer steal, but do a, what? A hard labor, which is honest work with your own hands. Now, when I think about honest work and hard labor, I think about this parable, which is mentioned in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents. It's a parable that maybe you've heard before. If you're fairly new to church, maybe you've heard this before. Uh, but we're going to read this entire parable. And I want you just to take some notes of a few things that I've observed as we kind of go throughout this message. And I'm going to just show you four things that matter to God as it pertains to an honest day's work. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus begins with this parable and he says, for it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted them to his property. So here's what you have. You have a man who owns a variety of resources and property. He's going away on a journey. And as he goes, he's going to leave things behind and he's going to entrust those to his servants. Verse 15, to one of the servants, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So here it is, this master is going away. And as he does so, he's asking these managers or a, maybe another appropriate word would be these stewards to manage the resources of the master well. If you pick up in verse 16, it says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made you five talents more. 
And his master's reply in verse 21 was, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22, it says, And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. In which he replies, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you've not scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went, I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be uh, who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the ones who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth now when you read this it seems a little bit harsh to a guy that you invested talent to and he goes and he bears in the ground and when you look at this you got to ask yourself the question okay are we only talking about money here and the reality is, is no. Remember, money matters, but money is not the heart of the matter. So what we're talking about here is just resources in general. I think as you read this parable, you could easily say that you could be talking about wealth, money management. It could be talking about life and stewardship. It's about what you do with what God has entrusted to your care. And the reality is, is all of us have been entrusted something to our care. If nothing else, you have life. And life itself is a very important value of God. And so as we talk about things today, here's what I want you to realize is that money does matter, but it's not the heart of it. The heart of it is that we would do honest, God-honoring work. And so here's what you need to know, number one, is that God cares about how and why we work. Now, I wrote this specifically to say how and why we work. It's important to note I did not say where we work. The reality is I don't know that God cares about where we work as much as how and why we work. So the context of where we work is not near as important. You might be in the concrete business and you might be thinking, I need to get out of the concrete business because God has more for me. The reality is, is whether you're in the concrete business or you're an educator or you're a pastor or you're a, an accounts manager, whether you own a funeral home or whether you're in the wedding planning business, it doesn't really matter. What matters is, is how and why you work. The reason why is because God is entrusting to us stewardship and he cares very much about how and why we work. Now you might go, well, okay, you're basing that off of Ephesians 4.28. Absolutely I am. I'm basing it also of Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30 and following that parable. Absolutely I am. But here's the deal. It is the mandate of man in creation in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, that you see this. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, we are told that the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden, and then he says to do two things, to work it and to keep it. Everybody say, work it. Work it. Let's try that one more time. Work it. Work it. Keep, it. keep it. Okay, now work it is the Hebrew word, which literally means avod. It's, it means multitude of things. It means to work. 
um, which is hard labor. Um, it means to serve. It actually is the word in the Old Testament oftentimes used to worship. It's a comprehensive word that when we work, we serve, we work, we worship. It's the idea of cultivating new things. In the word uh, keep it, it's the word in the Hebrew called shamar, which literally means to preserve. So we don't just work, we preserve. So our life is about honoring God as stewards and we are working, cultivating, doing new things, but we're also preserving the very things the managers entrust to our care. Think about it like a garden. If you have a garden, um, we are really good at the Bactyl house at cultivating a garden. Really good at it. We are not very good at keeping it and preserving it. Make sense? So it's one thing to sow seeds. It's another thing to make those seeds fruitful. So you work it, that's sowing, you cultivate by making a useful harvest. It's a both and. It's not just sowing seeds and letting weeds grow up and just take over everything. It's about keeping out weeds. It's about working, cultivating, honoring God. See, God desires that why we work is important and how we work is important. Where we work, where we cultivate probably isn't as big of a deal. But here's the key is you are to work and keep the things that God has entrusted to your care. Now, the Proverbs have a lot to say about this. Matter of fact, Proverbs 28 verse 19 says this, whoever works his land, okay? Um, you might not have land to work, but whoever works diligently, think about that, will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So you look around our nation, um, you can do one of two things. You can pursue things that are fruitful, or you can pursue things that lead to poverty. Hard work brings fruitfulness. Proverbs 13, 4 says this, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. We oftentimes wonder, well, why don't I have? Well, oftentimes it may be because the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Proverbs 21, verse 25 says this, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. His hands refuse to labor. Now, you might be wondering, well, why, why do I start here? Why well, I think Ephesians 4.28 lends itself to this. And as I was just reading throughout God's word, that really stuck, stuck out to me, stood out to me as I was planning this service. But here's the other part. The emphasis as far as starting here about God caring about our work is because our nation is struggling with this. Matter of fact, if I go to a restaurant where I go um, and talk with a, another leader in an industry or part of their field, one of the things I hear more often right now than I have in years is we can't find anybody to work. We can't find people to do an honest day's wage. And we see it in the restaurant industry. We see it in, in the trades industry. We see it um, in every shape and place. Matter of fact, you can actually go and you can just look for labor statistics and you can see there are millions of Americans right now who have not returned to work since COVID. And you can blame COVID if you'd like. The reality is, is I don't think it's a COVID issue. I think the issue is a heart issue. And that's why you see very clearly in this handful of texts that we've read that the sluggard gets poverty while the one who works diligently will have plenty. But here's the deal. The goal at the end of the day is not about just having plenty. It's actually not about having comfort at all. The reality is it's about honoring God with our work, more namely with our hands. 
Matter of fact, if God didn't care about this, I don't think Paul would have wrote to Timothy and said these words. Now you think the manager uh, or the, the, the master was difficult with the stewards that didn't manage the well, the one talent. Look what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, so let me just help you understand. I'm going to put it in a very simple context, okay? Every single week at Stone Point Church, we have anywhere from three to five, maybe six people reach out to us in need of financial assistance. We deal with probably 20 a month. One of the questions that we'll oftentimes ask is, hey, do you have a church home? And a lot of times people will say, yes, we have a church home, but our church can't help. The second thing is, is they'll say, no, we don't have a church home. And to which our next response is, well, hey, do you have anybody in your family that can help? And they would say, no, we have no one in our family to help. And so then begin, we begin to do our research and we're beginning to do our research on multitudes. We make phone calls. We make phone calls to, to different people, to employees, uh, to the landlord, to whoever it is. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because there's a, there's a response that we're looking for. At the end of the day, we want to know, okay, you're a part of a church. Yes. Okay. What's the challenge here if you're a part of the church and the church you're a part of does not have the means to take care of it? Because let me explain something to you real quickly. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. And you're having a hard time comprehending that. Listen, if you have no money in your church budget, budget, but you go to church with people who won't dip into their wallet to help you, you're at the wrong church. Did you just hear what I said? And there's too many of us in this room, we're like, well, I give my money to the church budget. No, not enough. Because if there's not enough out of the church budget to help a person that goes to your church in need, then it means you're not giving enough to the church budget or the church budget is not allocated properly or better than that, if all of those things are the problem, you just dip in and you just go, hey, let me help someone in need. Why? Because if you don't help someone in need, particularly those in your own household, you're worse than what? An unbeliever. That's a very bold statement. And it just helps you to realize that if you go back to Ephesians 4.28, let's hear what Paul has to say. Remember what he said? Ephesians 4.28, he says very clearly what it is we're to do. Let the thief no longer steal. That seems to be like something the person knew, knew life in Christ, that you should know that one. Like we're no longer to steal from people. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to what? Share with others in need. Why, why do we do honest work with our hands so we have something to share with others in need. Which is totally different than the American concept. We think we work hard so that we have more for ourselves. Matter of fact, more for ourselves to the point where we won't help anyone in need. Now listen, does everyone who reach out to us, do they all have a need? No. Should we meet all the needs? No, that's not the point. 
The point is, if you know that there's someone in your own household who doesn't have a need that's met, you shouldn't send them to the church office. You should meet the need yourself. It starts with your family. If you have family members that are in need, it starts with you. Don't send them to Mana Food Bank. Don't send them to the church. Don't send them to all these other places. Start right there where you are as the organism, the church yourself, and go, I'm going to meet the need. Why? Because that's what the Lord cares about. It's not about where. It's about why we work and about how we work. We, we work to serve our master. And secondly, our work shouldn't be disconnected from our worship. And that's a huge key. So where you work is not as important about how and why you work. And so Ephesians 4.28, we just read it. I'm gonna put it for you on the screen one more time. I'm gonna continue to do this, okay? You might as well go ahead and start now memorizing it. We're gonna see it so much over the next handful of weeks. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Key phrase, doing honest work with his hands. I presume to believe that as a believer, if we are working hard, we should be worshiping God and we do that through honest work. Now, when I think about honest work, it brings up several questions. Okay, well, we know honest work is not theft, right? We agree with that. Um, so what is honest work? Well, honest work seems to be with our hands. That's what Proverbs is telling us. That's what Paul is telling us. It's with our hands. It's a hard day's work. But it's also with the idea of serving God. It's Colossians 3. Paul writes to the church of Colossae and he says this, hey, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So we actually don't even work for our boss. We're not going in tomorrow morning for our coworkers. We're not going in for our other people. We're going in because we serve the Lord. He says, knowing that it's from the Lord that you'll receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So the Lord cares about our work because at the end of the day, we're looking for an appropriate response. What is the appropriate response? We'll go back to Matthew chapter um, 15, I'm sorry, 25, and, and just think, what was the aim of the guy who had five talents, two talents, and one talent? What was the actual aim? The aim is to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the aim. So you look at your day tomorrow or you just do an inventory of your last week. Can you say honestly that my last week of work was hard, God-honoring work in which I could stand before God right now and say, I did everything I could to honor you? Would he reply, well done, good and faithful servant, because that's the aim. Enter into the joy of your master. Or would you more or less need the warning and which the guy who had the one talent and buried it in the ground had, which we would see in verse 26, you wicked and slothful servant. See, that's the warning here, friends. The warning is you get one life from God. You get one name. You get one opportunity to have a name that is worth more than riches, ruby, gold, silver, or anything else. And you get one opportunity to honor the master. How well are you doing in that? And what does it matter? Well, it matters because when we work for the Lord, he's paying attention. We are stewards of his varied grace. And I would say that you might be working, but the question you got to ask yourself is the is the means in which I'm working honorable? Okay, so let's just talk through that real quick. 
Um, I presume to believe that Ponzi schemes, get-rich-quick schemes, are not a means of honorable work. If you just examine the scriptures. Now, I would tell you that I can look over the course of the last 20 some odd years of my life and I can see ways that I've been tempted to get rich quick. I can also tell you the times where I've fallen on my face as a result of trying that. The reality is this, every dime I have has come from the graciousness of God, number one, but number two, through genuine hard work. And when I say hard work, I mean hard work, difficult labor, now, you might not know me um, very well. Maybe you do know me. Maybe you've heard things about me, whatever. Um, in the last 22 years, um, my bride and I have served in ministry. And then the other thing that we've done outside of ministry is we've remodeled houses. We've, we've started, it started with our house here in Wills Point in 2002, um, 2003, it burned down. Uh, with the help of some gracious people, we were able to rebuild it. It was hard work. I learned like, hey, I can do this. Like, it's not easy, it's not fun, but we did that. So then we went to Dallas and I served in a church there and on the side, on the weekends, on any evening that I had free, it took us months and months and months and months of living with friends and um, trying to figure a way out. And we remodeled this house slowly and it was hard work. We kept it for a couple of years because just financial sense says that if you own a house for two years, you can actually sell it and you can be tax-free on the profits up to $500,000. So we thought, you know, it's a good time to sell. And so we sold. Uh, we made a little money and then we went and we bought another house and we started remodeling. And I can remember Kelly living in a house with dirt floors. Like people would come into our house and half of it's plastic off and we're living in the back and it would take us a year to remodel this and we didn't have kiddos. And it was hard work. If I had an evening free, a weekend free, which as a pastor, you don't always have those weekends and evenings free. So it takes you a really long time. But through hard work, we were able to do that. This time the market crashed and I didn't make any money on that house for two reasons. One, the market crashed and God called us to church plant. As a result of that, we broke even on the deal and we were glad to do so. We came here, we rented a house. Eventually, we took some of the money that we had saved up because we weren't huge, huge spenders. We weren't in debt. We, we were really wise about And then we bought some property and then we built a house. We built that house, we sold that house. We built another house, we sold that house. Right now, we live in a mobile home. Okay, now the reason I tell you all that, and, and I'm hesitant to do so because you might have lots of different opinions about that. The reason I tell you that is because the wealth that we have brought about in our lives has literally come because of sweat equity. Hard, hard, hard work. Is it for everyone? No, it's not. Would I recommend it for everyone? No, I wouldn't. But what I will tell you is that when I serve the Lord, whether it's as a pastor to you, whether it's a father to my kiddos, whether it's me leading my family, the goal is to serve the Lord. And I can do that in the context of whatever it is I'm doing, as long as I praise the Lord and as long as I'm not a wicked, slothful servant. So listen, I don't watch TV. I, 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 don't, I don't have time for it. And I don't mean that to take a shot at you. If you watch TV, that's not the point. The point is, is, 
I, I work and I get up in the morning and I work. And on a weekend, when I have a day off, I work. I don't rest. And I don't tell you that to say, well, I don't need rest. No, my body needs rest and I rest in Christ. And there are days where I know like, hey, I need, I need to take the afternoon and I need to love my family well and I need to relax. And today you might think, well, the Cowboys are playing. That might be that day. I doubt it. I doubt it. Why? Because I'm recharged by working. God created us to work. He didn't create us to be lazy. He didn't create us to be slothful. He didn't create us to make life all about us. Now, should we have an oscillation between work and rest? Absolutely. Should we be wise? Yes. But the key in all of this, and the reason I tell you that, is because I want you to know that my work is not disconnected from my worship. And I want you to know, listen to me, I have not become wealthy through the stock market, through get-rich-quick schemes. Um, I have not made money that way. Can you make money that way? I presume to believe you can. I have never been successful at doing so. I've tried multitude of times. I can think of five times where I have lost thousands of dollars because of foolish decision to think this one's gonna be it. And I will just tell you, I think wisdom says, be careful about thinking that this next time is it. Make sense? Just work hard and save so that you can help those in need. We'll talk about that another week. What you don't want is to be a wicked, slothful servant. Make sense? Now, when you're hearing this, and you're hearing me even just be vulnerable with you, and I'm vulnerable with you at the sake of you could judge me or say things about me, about my life and about what I do in my spare time. Um, I tell you that because at the end of the day, we have a problem with judging others. We walk out of here and you may say something about me. And that's between you and the Lord. Like it truly is. I cannot control what you do or don't do with your time. I can't control what you do or say or don't say or do say about me. I genuinely can't. And the Lord throughout my life and really over the last handful of years has helped me determine that your opinion is not the value that God has in me. I have one master and I have one master to please. That's it. And while oftentimes the work here and pastoring and shepherding can feel demanding and almost feel like you are my master, you're not. And I have to remind myself of that. Why do I tell you that? It's because I think we struggle to go, well, I wish I had what he had. I, I wish I had what they had. I, I wish I had that car. I w- well, listen, you don't wish you had either of one of my cars. I promise <laughs> I promise you, you do not wish that you had what I drove, okay? That's true. And you will never have wanted any of my vehicles. And the reason why is because I, back, I buy cash cards. And I just, if they can get me from place here, and my kids are embarrassed, like, come on, Dad, we, it's time to upgrade. Caleb was just telling his mama this week, Mama, I really do think that it's time for you to get a new car. They opened the door handle and it came off, and they're like... <laughs> So now they got to go around the vehicle, get on one side of the door. It's pretty embarrassing, okay? Um, so my kids a lot of times are like, hey, why don't we have what they have? It's a question that comes up all the time. Why can't I have, my friends have it. My, and listen, I just say, hey, listen, you have a different master than they have. And your master sees it differently than their master does. The reality is I have one thing to steward and it's you. And I can't steward others because you're already difficult enough. 
But my kids are just like me. I look around and go, Lord, why couldn't I have this? Why can't I have that? And here's the reality. You know what I see in the parable of the talents? Life is not fair. That's point number three. It is not fair. Parents, it's the great time to encourage your teenagers to sit up in their seat. It's a great time for you to nudge your, it's a, if you want to like pinpoint this, like in the message, you can go and just take note of it. I'm going to just, this is for teenagers and for adults who act like teenagers. Here we go. <clears throat> Life is not fair. It genuinely is not fair. When you look at the parable of talents, one of the questions that oftentimes happens as we stumble through that parable is, okay, I don't understand. Why did the master give one, five, one, two, and then you got the one that got one? Why did he only get one? Well, it's crazy that we actually read the answer to that. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 15. The answer is right there. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own what? ability. The master knew. He goes, I know something about that servant. I know something about that servant. I know something about that servant. See, the master knows something that you and I as servants don't know about ourselves. Let me say it one more time. The master knows something about the servant that the servant doesn't know about himself. And you might wonder, well, why haven't I been entrusted more? The question is, not why have I not been entrusted with more? The question is, is what have I done with what I've been entrusted? Am I stewarding the very things that God has given me? Because in God's economy, life is not fair. Now, just so you understand, one talent was not one denarius. One talent was likely 20 years wages. 20 years wages. Has anybody come to you lately and said, hey, listen, I'll trust you so much, I'm going to give you 20 years wages? No, it hasn't happened, right? But that's what we're talking about in this story. So like we feel like poor pitiful me, this guy who buried 20 years wages into the ground. One, who in the world buries 20 years wages in the ground? Only an American about to go into the Civil War. But outside of that, like, why are you sticking it in a house wall where no one's ever going to find it? Except me, when I remodel it 50 <laughs> or 60 years later. <laughs> hey, it's happened. I have a buddy that came across thousands of dollars because he remodeled the house. There's other means and places that you can be a good steward. Now, here's why I tell you that. Life isn't fair in God's economy. And you know what? Friends, listen to me. That's actually really good news for you. Because in God's economy, if life was fair, the scripture says that we all deserve death for our sin. But in God's loving kindness, though we were sinners, Christ the Son came out of heaven to live among us, to give those of us who would follow him a new life in Christ. And friends, I will just tell you that if we got what was fair, we wouldn't have anything at all. We only deserve death, condemnation, and separation. Yet, but God in his loving kindness, he goes, hey, I'll take you out of darkness and make you light. Hey, I'll take you from orphans to having a family of God. Hey, I would love to take you from being an enemy to being a friend. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that seem fair? No. 
And so we might be entrusted with different things, but key, here's the key. It doesn't matter what you've been entrusted with. Only what matters is the aim, that you would hear these words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's the question you got to ask yourself right now. In these next few moments, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I want you just to answer honestly in your head. God, have I been a good steward of the resources you've entrusted in my care? For some of us, it's like, yeah. For some of us, it's like, oh, no. For some of us, it's a maybe. Like, I feel like it's a maybe. Because as many things as I've done well, I've squandered a lot of great opportunities. Make sense? But here's the key. Is that here's the key in all this. And this is point number four. The parable of the steward is not about, the parable of the talents is not about wealth at all. It's just about a life of stewardship. So our work our life, all of it is not about a pursuit of money. It just doesn't come down to wealth. So our work, that's point number four, our work in life is not about wealth. It's about stewardship. So at the end of the day, your goal should not be to have lots of money in your bank account so that you can retire and have a comfortable life. I don't see that in scripture. Now, I'm not saying that you can't retire. Matter of fact, I have a dad who is retired. Um, And I'll just tell you that my dad's retirement... Um, looks a lot like his work life did because he stewarded his time wisely. Let me just tell you about Mark Bactel. Mark Bactel uh, was a coach, and if he could physically coach right now, he would. He would still be with, with teenagers day making a difference. Um, eight years ago, last month, um, he had a tragic accident that changed his life forever. When you see him, you see a normal guy, but what you don't know is that um, he had a major brain accident. Uh, you don't know that he lost all of his hearing. Um, now he has it by the grace of a cochlear Im- implant, but you also don't know that he lost most of his vision. Sees nothing out of his left side and just literally sees through a, a straw hole on his right side. Uh, easily, if anybody could make an excuse and say, well, life isn't fair, I would say that could be the guy. If he could wallow and just shame and pity, and he would be that guy. He could easily be that guy. Knowing that you had an entire life, worked for 40 years coaching and teaching, retire, rehire, only to have an accident that changed your life forever. But even in that, he goes, I wish I could still coach and be with kids. But here's the crazy thing is, he spends his time making a difference. Does he have a lot of money? I would say he's rich by worldly standards because he's an American like you. And the reality is, is you're rich too. But it's not about wealth. It's about what you do with what God's entrusted to your care. And so on Monday morning, he gets up and he cleans buildings for Stone Point Church. He cleans here and then he goes to our Edgewood campus. He'll go home that afternoon. He'll study his Bible probably for two, three, four, five hours some days. Um, he texts people, encourages them. Incredible at that. Then that, that evening, he comes back to our Wills Point campus and he serves at Regeneration Monday uh, Ministry, which is on Monday nights. And he's done that for the last couple of years. Um, serves every single, matter, matter of fact, if you're interested in Regen and men, you're in here, you want to be a part of his group, you better hurry up because the, that window of opportunity is closing soon, okay? Um, but then here's the deal. On Tuesdays, um, he um, is, is a part of preparing and leading a journey group. On Wednesday mornings, he comes and he's a part of a group of men that meet here on our Wills Point campus uh, at 5 a.m. He's here 
I'm ready to go. We meet at 5.30. He's always here about 4.55. Um, he leaves from here and he goes to Mana Food Bank, which is one of our strategic partners, and he serves there until noon. He gets out of there and he'll read the scriptures and kind of catch up. That morning, he will have texted me by 5.45 just to say, hey, Brian, I hope your day's great. He does that on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On Thursdays, um, after leading journey group at Wednesday night at his house, he's back up here and he cleans buildings. The other day, him and one other guy named Mark Gentry cleaned our buildings, and it took them six hours to clean this campus and that campus. They didn't leave and get home until after almost 2 p.m. Would y'all say that's a life that counts? Absolutely it is. See, the reality is, is money matters, but it's not in the heart of the matter. He didn't do any of those things because he got paid a dime. We don't, we don't, we don't tip him. I, I suppose to say we let him have all the diet sodas he wants. And that probably cost us more than we, we know. But the reality is our work is simply to reflect the heart of our master. Do you remember the responses? Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. But do you remember the one who was entrusted one talent? What did he say? God or master, I knew you to be a hard master. Listen, our father in heaven is not a hard demanding master. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He says, come and follow me. And listen, as you follow him, it's a joy to enter into his presence. And the reality is, is what you believe about him reflects either God's heart or it reflects yours. Hold on real quick. What you believe about this whole message either reflects God's heart or it reflects yours. And that's why Jesus says these words. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, listen, your heart is gonna follow your treasure. Your treasure is in, in missions. You're gonna see yourself in missions and you're gonna go on mission trips and you're gonna give your money to missions and you're gonna see yourself there. Friends, if your heart is in the local church, you're gonna give your money to the local church. You're gonna serve the local church. You're not gonna say, hey, what the church can do for me, but what can I do for my church? And you're going to ask those questions. Your, the reality is your heart is, is chasing something. That's why Jesus goes on and he says this. He goes, no one can serve two masters. You either hate the one or you love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's just a point. And the, re, the reason he says these things is because our heart is indicative of what we believe about the master. We either believe that the master is good and kind and he gives us all that we need. And he gives according to what he sees in us. Or we believe the master to be stingy and oppressive and hard. And as a result, we begin to reflect that nature. So here's the question. Do you reflect the nature of a kind, generous God who gives to others as they have need? Or do you find yourself being stingy, taking the very things that God has given you and burying them in the ground? Okay, I'm going to close with something. Did you know that right now the gospel flourishes more among Muslims than it does Christians? Did you know that the gospel is, is, is just, it's on a trend. When I say the gospel, I don't mean the gospel, the good news as a Muslim, just give clarity. Uh, their message is flourishing more to the gospel. Do, do you think it's because of evangelism? Perhaps, maybe. The reason that it is, is because... Muslims see family as a heritage from the Lord and they have lots of children. 
Do you know what Americans see? Children as a burden. Even among Christians. Young Christians are building bigger houses, driving nicer vehicles. And the reality is, is they see children as a burden. And so they have less of them. And because you have less children, the gospel flourishes less. Does that make sense? Now you might ask, well, why do you say that? I say that for two reasons. One is to help you realize that in our culture as Americans, we're becoming more selfish. And even our families aren't reflective of the gospel, even as we expand in size, simply because we are very much like, oh my gosh, they have 10 kids? Oh my gosh, you have five? And then we say the, the next line, don't you know that you can have a TV? You know what a TV's for? Basically, what we're saying is, is that your family size is too large. And not only is it too large, like it seems like, it seems like you would want more in life. You see that? What's interesting is Proverbs 127 says that, that children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, the question is that, and I'm going to ask this question. I want you to answer it in your, in your mind and your heart. Are children a heritage from the Lord? Okay, if children are a heritage from the Lord, I'm going to take a quick preaching break, commercial. Why don't you serve in kids' ministry? Did you know that just today we had four classrooms empty? We have no one to lead kids just today. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because we, we believe two things. One, we believe we pay somebody to do that. Number two, we believe that we've had our kids all week so we can lend them to someone who can do better. And you go, well, I don't know that I agree with that. Well, here's the question. Why don't we see our children as a heritage from the Lord? And if we do see them as a children as heritage from the Lord, then why aren't we spending our time? Because here's the deal. Money matters, but it's not the heart of the matter. Do you realize that you don't have to have any money at all to make God's name famous throughout the earth? Did you know that? You don't have to have any money at all for the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the good news. You don't have to steward any money if you don't have money because all you can do is steward a life that really counts. And can I just tell you one other quick thing as we're talking about stats? Did you know that if kids hear and respond to the gospel before the age of 14, there's a likelihood of them knowing Christ way more, but he goes exponentially down once they're in junior high and high school. If you want to see God's work flourish in the kingdom of God, it's not actually in this room. It's in those rooms right there. And just so you know something about the heart of your pastor, listen to me. I would not preach another time this year. I would not preach another time this year if you would bless me to go serve over there every single week. If you'd be okay with that. I would just assume go there. And you know why I'd go there? Is because I know for sure that I could share the gospel in meaningful ways and creative stories, keeping kids' attention because I've worked to prepare really well that week. And they would not only have a blast, but they would also hear the good news of Jesus and they would respond. And we would see, we would see dozens of kids come to faith in Christ 
as a result of that. My time, honestly, may be better over there than it is here when it comes to just that stewarding. Does that make sense? So why does that matter? Because our life counts and what you steward matters because it reflects the heart of God. And so may the Lord help us. And I'll close with Psalm 127 because we're talking about children and later in that chapter, it talks about children being inherited from the Lord. But look what it says first in Psalm 127, one and two. And I'll close with this. It says, unless the Lord build the house, those who labor, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So listen, if you get up early and you're the first one in the office and you're the last one to leave and you're making a name for yourself, David says, hey, you, you need to be careful about that because that's, you're toiling for, the, for anxious bread. But there is something better. There is something better about going to work and doing hard work for the glory of God. An honest day's work. Not only are you doing that, but you are also showing to everyone else that indeed not only is life not fair, but in our unfairness, the gospel flourishes because we reflect the heart of our father. And as we reflect the heart of the father, we trust him because our labor is not in vain if we find help and strength from him. And as the psalmist declares, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do you believe that church? Is that true of you? How well are you stewarding? Remember, it's not just a money issue, it's a life issue. What are you doing that's gonna last forever? Lord, help us. And may it start with me. May it start with me. Who, who was that? Was it Truman? The buck stops here? It was. Listen, I'm your leader and the buck starts here and it stops here because we can do better being stewards of God's very grace. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Challenging message, challenging to teach, probably very challenging to hear. And Lord, if we're not careful, we could walk away out of here and we could leave a lot of it behind. Or we could walk out of here and say, who is he to say that to me? And I just come before you and I would just say, Lord, we all need this message. And we need to just be reminded that life is not fair. And if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't get this message at all. We wouldn't have any message of hope. We wouldn't have any message to move us to being better stewards of your grace. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take these words and they would land on fertile soil and they would sprout out to be a harvest of righteousness. And I pray as a result of this message that there are many of us in this room who we look and allocate our time a little differently, who we look at our work differently, that we would do an honest day's work, hard labor with our hands so that you're glorified. God, we need your help because we can't do it without you. And Lord, we also can't do it without one another. So Lord, would you teach us? Would you enable us to walk according to these words by your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, church.